gets a sled, he's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father, they're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. Hello, welcome to our audio pad. My name is Wade. And I'm Siggy, and this is You Watched It Wrong, the podcast where Wade and I agree to watch some kind of movie or something like that and then see what else we agree on. Yeah, we haven't, we've done only movies up until now. This will be our third episode. We have things planned that we aren't from the cinema, but uh, for right now, we're sticking with movies. Well, today we're going to talk about a film that um, actually we're recording this on the 25th of February 2017. So uh, this is one day before the Oscar, the Academy Awards ceremony is happening on Sunday. And the 89th annual. The 89th. Have you been counting them every year? I can't believe it's. I've been following it for the 89 years. It's, I know. It's, it's been quite a ride. Well... For all its complications and all the things that make me bashful about saying this, uh, the the Oscars are my Super Bowl. I will sit and watch this every year, and uh, and with with great excitement. It's a uh, lot like the Super Bowl in that most of the time, uh, your favorite has not made it to the big show. <laughs> that's that's really true. Nor will it usually make it out. <laughs> It'll make it take home the gold. Um, and you're like, oh, it's all politics. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so our, sh- our show today, apropos in honor of the, uh, Oscars coming up is one of the nominees for best picture among other things is the film called the film called, I got to come up with better word. It's uh, the film, uh, <laughs> the film arrival, uh, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and written by Eric. I'm going to mess this up. Heiserer, based on the short story by Ted uh, Chiang, called uh, Nice Research. Thank nice you. Research there. Uh, well, I'm in. Uh, as we'll fi- you'll find out why I I knew all this off the top of my head uh, in I our can't conversation. Wait. I'm going to keep listening to this episode to find out. <laughs> let's do that. In fact, let's do that now. So here's our conversation on uh, Arrival. Uh, let's go there now through the miracle of podcasting. This discussion of Arrival includes spoiler warnings for Arrival, but also Lost Highway, Watchmen, Back to the Future Part 2, Guardians of the Galaxy, again, seems to come up a lot on this show, Moonlight, Signs, and if you really don't want to know about Laurel and Hardy sight gags, then for Way Out West and the Music Box. Enjoy your arrival. So I gotta tell you, for our uh, little little show here, I, I sense a theme, at least on my side, which okay. is I, I think everything that we talk about at least to the listener, I think they're going to go. Oh, I get, I get the show. Wade, Wade loves everything. 
<laughs> because I, I don't have a varying story on this one. Um, uh, first of all, how do you, how, um, okay. <laughs> As we said, the Oscars are coming up and, don't, uh, don't force yourself to feel something you don't feel <laughs> for the you, sake of what, the audience. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. They're not worth it. Yeah. Why stick with my strong suit? <laughs> um, Arrival, I think, is is one of the most amazing movies I've seen to come along in a long time. Um, there are other movies this year that I'm, I feel You're not more burying the lead on this. No, one. I am not. Um, I don't think. Uh, um, I, I I think there are other. There's a couple other movies that I am more infatuated with this year, like that just have stolen my heart and gut punched me really hard. Mm. Um, like Hell or High Water, I think is a is perfection. I think there's only one line that doesn't land and it's near the beginning, but the rest of it is like perfection of direction, writing, acting, production design, everything. Uh, Midnight Special hit me in the gut. And I think that's my favorite film of the year. But Arrival, even compared to those two, probably really deserves the title of Best Picture. Um, outside of the Oscars, just because it's it's... Um, I mean, at its core, it's, it's, it's just, it's a phenomenal piece of work, both from the, both from a, a, a standpoint of craft and intent. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, uh, I can't speak highly enough of, of, of almost every aspect of this movie. This is an interesting distinction. I'm, I'm curious oh, yes. to, to see how this, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, different other movies awoke your passions more, but this one you're engaging with more uh, in, in a more cerebral way. Is that what's happening here? Uh, I would say because to say like it wasn't my favorite movie, but it was the best movie. Well, I mean, I guess other people could could say that about other. Things, well, yeah, but, but I mean, but, I mean, there are things. I mean, this this movie did not only get me in a cerebral way. You know what I mean? It's like. Uh, I mean, I would say I would say this is my third favorite of the year, perhaps. Uh, it's just it's like I mean I mean the experiences are all different, but this what what this is I mean I mean I mean hell or high water let's let's just say that that Which is I haven't seen it's you and you should. Um, it's a perfect piece of character work that almost feels like Cracker Jack Entertainment in a way, but Arrival is has an enormity to it that um not only in the scale of the events that happen in the movie but just an enormity within the the peoples that we're following in their in their own it's an intimate enormity <laughs> and if that makes any sense I at all well acquainted with <laughs> intimate enormities <laughs> but not the kind that are depicted in this film <laughs> Are you are you paying yourself a compliment? <laughs> uh, that's a lead I will bury. <laughs> so, um, like you look at, um, I'm trying to think. I wouldn't say it. It's a purely cerebral experience. It's a highly emotional experience. Um, l let's just say, when that special got me right in with all the feelings that I was feeling in my life at the time at this time I'm watching it. And um, um, 
it, it, it I don't think I can shake that. Like I, I, I it's. Uh, Which but, one's Midnight Special? I'm just thinking of the Credence Clearwater oh, yeah, exactly. song. It's right um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a movie written and directed by the amazing Jeff Nichols, who also wrote this and directed this year's uh, movie Loving, which didn't get nominated for anything but Best Actress, uh, Ruth Nega, who's was great in it. Does um, it have any relation to the soap opera? Loving. Loving, no, just. Okay. Good. That's <laughs> I fine. Can't remember the soap opera Loving. Do you know what Loving is about? I'm gonna take a wild guess. <laughs> Is it about loving? <laughs> it is kind of. It's about uh, oh, and I'm I can't remember their names, but it's a it's it's uh, about the the true story of um, the God. Well, I can't remember the first names. I'm sorry, but the couple whose last name was Loving, and they they were uh, in. Uh, oh, this they, is a Supreme Court case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay, all right, exactly. And Joel Edgerton stars in it with Ruth Nega. Uh, uh, are they the leads? And Joel Edgerton is also a supporting. Uh, role in midnight special and honestly everyone kept talking about him getting a best actor nod for loving i think is the best work of his career is in midnight special but it stars mm. michael shannon and um and joel edgerton and uh, uh uh adam driver and kirsten dunst and um and this amazing kid actor whose name escapes me it's jaden something um but uh, it's uh, anyway, it's 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 a it's basically a sci-fi chase movie that is really about parenting more than anything else. And uh, he said it's his most personal movie he's ever made, and I believe him, even though it's kind of just looked at as a genre. Actually, uh, people are like, it's a, it's a sci-fi chase movie, but it really is. It's you know, it, it just it, it that that overtakes my brain and my mind. I can't stop. It's always there. Hell or high water is just simply perfection <laughs> but um but arrival is arrival feels bigger than me it's kind of the same way i felt when i read the watchman comic book uh, graphic novel because i yeah you're allowed to take comic book okay uh because i was like at that time i was getting very frustrated because nothing i read felt like something i couldn't do <laughs> you know which is not good i mean i can't do very much i'm not that great so like um Shot. and i nor nor really have i even really attempted so the um so i'm looking at all this stuff going none of this feels bigger than me you know is that feel i think daryl hammond once said on about george w bush he said i i want a president that i know is smart that is smarter than i am <laughs> and i i'm a c student and i know i'm smarter than george bush <laughs> so this worries me uh and that's how i felt about and yet and yet I find myself looking back finally yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, w. Bush it's, these days. it's it's incredible isn't it a friend of mine said on facebook uh i used to, i was uh i was always you say i was embarrassed that george w bush was my president and now i'm sorry george w bush i did not know what embarrassment was yes. <laughs> um what i was statesman he I, was <laughs> i wouldn't say i look back on him fondly but i didn't know how much worse it could get um, uh, all right, we're having. Yeah. We said we're gonna have fun. Have fun. This podcast. That's right. Um, so yeah. So so. Normandy. <laughs> I read. I read a Watchmen, and I was like, oh, yeah. I this for the first thing in a while that felt bigger than I was, and way. I don't know. It really, it really uh, overwhelmed me in a, in a really great way, 
And so the rival has the same thing in, in, in how it's structured and how it's performed and how it's the mess, its ultimate message. Um, okay. And it just, yeah, I just, um, you know, for, but for a while I was so enamored with hell or high water that I was like really pushing it for my, like that's who's I was rooting for at the Oscars, even though I knew it wasn't going to, it's not going to get, take it. Uh, again, this is before the Oscars, by the time you the listener listening to this is probably, it's going to be after and and you guys know what we don't. Um, but now over time I've been, just been brewing in me. I'm like, no, Arrival is just, Arrival is a really monumental piece of work. And well, let's uh, talk about, so let's yeah. talk about how it's monumental then. Um, so, well, first of all, I, I have to ask the question. It's an obligation. Oh yeah. How did you watch it? Uh, the same way I did watch Rogue One. <laughs> Uh, we watched it back in December when my mom was here and we, uh, uh, my wife and I went to the theater, the same theater we saw Rogue One in. Did you, did you sneak in? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. We, we snuck in three weeks later with the same ticket. (laughs) Um, no, we, we, we paid our fair share and we walked and we, we, we saw it and we, and, um, uh, I, I, I have a feeling tomorrow, uh, Carrie's not, is my wife, uh, my dear, dear wife is going to be very, very, uh, I don't think she's looking forward to the Oscars because, you know, La La Land is going to sweep pretty much everything, at least the maybe the uh, big things, and, and the rival is probably not going to get anything. So, like, uh, you know, there's, there's just no point in getting upset when you watch the Oscars. The Oscars oh, is Hollywood awarding itself. Right. Well, exactly. Because, right? Well, well, everyone likes, again, it's... likes to, to see everyone, when you're connected to some piece of work or art or, 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 or artist, you get, you, you, you feel, you feel a slight, I guess, when, when they are, when they have a perceived sliding, but here's the thing that everyone's got to remember. And what actually is pretty neat when people say things like it's an honor to be nominated, it really is because, you know, every, the way it's voting, the way you're nominated is that everyone in your field and only the people in your field cast the ballots for nomination. So basically, it's your entire. All the actors say, you know, of all of us, we all feel like these guys are the best. And it's all like the, the coaches' poll in right. uh, college football rankings. Yeah, it's not like everyone trying to. You know, the, now everyone votes on the nominations, so that can get a little more political. But when you're doing, you know, all the art directors go, these are the people. These are our colleagues that we think are doing the best work. All the directors are like, these are our colleagues that are we think are doing the best work. All the writers. Are going. These are our colleagues that we think are doing the best work. Mm-hmm. So that's actually that's actually pretty great. That's really all. I, I, when I watch the Oscars, I'm really there. I'm really there only to watch the thing that the show seems to think I don't care about, which is, which is? the speeches. That's all I want to see. Oh yeah. I yeah. just want to see the people get up and say something directly, and I'd like them to be able to talk for more than forty five seconds. You know, I, you know, it's like, it's like, that's why I'm there. I don't need a tribute to editing. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't See, need, you know, I actually like all of that. I like the speeches. I like the, all those goofy segments. Like for me, it's watching the Oscars is like anthropology. It's, yeah. it's Hollywood telling the story of itself. And, uh, I find it really enjoyable to watch in a very, aspirational way this is this is hollywood saying what it wants to be like right or what it thinks of itself right now 
and what it what it hopes to be and and the way it the way that the the prizes the statues are awarded is part of that story right oh, wait, absolutely and it's, and it's 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 if you I, I i learned to start enjoying it and stop being angry about it when i stopped looking at it as an award for merit <laughs> because it was right. you know it's only going to be frustrating if you if you watch it that way if you're like Oh, so this is what they think of themselves. Yeah, it's, or this is, you know, this is this is how when they go to bed at night and they think I did a good job today. Like this, this is this is what, uh, you know, this is the picture in their head that they're telling about what what they do that is like making uh, is fulfilling their own uh, uh, destiny. It's like their own self actualization. Is is like this is the this is the picture of it. Yeah, I think the the Academy Awards ceremony is Hollywood's Facebook page. Like they like that's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's their them curating themselves for presentation, but um, yeah. but and that's this, why La La Land is going to win because right, that you know it's it's just basically La La Land's a big jerk off for <laughs> for Hollywood saying every sacrifice you made was totally worth it. Well, I, yeah, and I, but I think I think also the the. I mean, when it comes down to it, we were born into the world when the Academy Awards already existed. Um, and so we were told, oh. Unless you've been following all 89 years like I have. Well, exactly, exactly. Unless <laughs> you know, current company accepted. Um, and so you were just like, oh, well, these are the best picture. This is the best actor. This is the best actor. And then when you get older and you're like, you want the things that really moved you to be definitively in history yeah. marked as such. But what this is, is this is just an organization that has decided to give out an award. It's the same thing as the, all the other organizations that just decide to give up an award. It's not the de facto um, decree of history, you know, but it's being taken that way. And that's why, uh, and then uh, that's why I think that's why there's anger when, their thing loses because uh, they're like, well, this is a, this is going down in history, and to some degree, it certainly is because that's this seems to be the metric that at least when people say, oh, what was the best picture of this year, they go directly to the Oscar list and find out. Um, yeah, but isn't it strange? Is you know, like taking the Oscars as the main um, as the main designator of quality for the year? Like, well, it's the Oscar that counts the most. Like that's a strange choice to me. Like you know, it's not a critics award. It's not a festival prize. It's, it, you know, it's it's the self selection. It's the prize that they gave themselves, not that some outside body. You know, it's not. It's, it's <laughs> that's that's what's strange to me about it. it it's mm-hmm. like um. It's it's like uh it's like the Democratic National Committee. Uh, deciding that Hillary should get the nomination and not let the process work itself out and the voters choose who they think, yeah. you know, like, oh, we should tilt the field because we think we think we know we're getting political again. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's kind of like that. Like it's, it's the inside baseball view of what was the best movie rather than how it landed in the marketplace, like how it not right. marketplace of is in terms of revenue, because um, actually I think revenue colors the the Oscars um, more than uh, it colors the other prizes. Um, oh sure. Well, well, I mean the whole reason 
the campaigns are so big is because when either and I, and there's a great story about why it started and I can't actually recall it at the moment, but like um, now it's you, you are getting an Oscar. You are campaigning and investing in the, in the uh, campaign for an Oscar solely to sell more tickets or DVDs for that movie afterwards. Cause you can get a bump if you right. win this award. So right. in theory, so, um, so that's why they do it, not only for the prestige, but that's the main thing behind it. I think one of the most honest things. But weirdly, even prestige, even prestige is about attracting talent to help you sell more movies later. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's Oscar winning this or Oscar winning that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've gotten off of uh, Arrival and back and on onto the Academy Awards. Think of the downloads we could have gotten if we had posted this conversation like three days ago. <laughs> I know. I know we're a little behind, uh, but here you can listen to us pontificate when you know what happens, and so you can feel feel that much more better about yourself. Yeah, this conversation's evergreen. Check this out again one year from now. Oh yeah, it'll be the same thing, just replace. Uh, you know, when you have a fever for the ninetieth, uh, the ninetieth anniversary Oscars. Okay, so uh, with with our Oscar talk, we have uh, uh, gotten away. I mentioned how I saw it. How did you see it, and what did you think? Oh, um, just uh, got a babysitter and uh, took the wife out. We, we, it was like it was the last weekend, um, and Friday night, and it's basically like let's try to see one of the best picture nominees because <laughs> we'd only seen La La Land. Um, so like let's try to see a second one um and i we were going to try to see midnight uh not midnight moonlight but um we couldn't get to see a showing of that and then i saw oh hey they they're showing arrival again so let's go see that so i was happy cuz i was really bummed i didn't get to see it in the theater because it looked um you know being a big fan of uh contact uh when i saw the the commercial for arrival i'm like oh looks kind of like contact let's go see it um, so I was really happy to get the chance to see it on the big screen. Yeah, it's really worth it. And so we saw it on, on a Friday evening with a bunch of uh, oldies, a bunch of olds. We were the youngest people in the theater, I think. It's kind of interesting. It wasn't like a matinee or anything. It was like a 7 o'clock show. Actually, no, it was a 5 o'clock because we had an early dinner. Anyway, doesn't matter. Too much detail. I'm talking like an old person would. I think some of that oldness rubbed off on me during that movie. Maybe I'm experiencing a circular time and I'm speaking to you from my old age right now. <laughs> so what was your impression of the movie? Um, my impression... My, so I'm not going to be as grandiose about it as you. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was a good film. I thought it was a very good film. Um... I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was not, um, it wasn't just like contact, but I thought it kind of fit into a family of, um, as my wife put it, uh, women in spaceships and relationships movies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so arrival, contact, gravity, aliens, uh, they all, all, they tend to have single single word titles for some reason, um, um, but where uh, in a sci-fi setting 
where it's uh, aliens a little less so, but um, uh, a sci-fi experience um, as a kind of therapy for working out your uh, relationship issues, either with deceased daughters uh, in the case of um, Arrival and Gravity or deceased fathers or uh, or surrogate daughters um, if you're Sigourney Weaver in, in Aliens. Um, but I thought it was cool um, and like I thought it was very – I didn't know – I hadn't read anything about it going in so I didn't know who wrote it or directed it. And so I was kind of surprised that it was two dudes um, – <laughs> In the end, because I thought it, I felt three like dudes if you count the original author of the short story. Yeah, and I, and I don't know how much of this is in the original short story. Yeah, I've been wanting to um, read it. It's called the it, story of your life. Story of my life. No, it's called well, the. Yeah. Definitely reading it. <laughs> <laughs> See what's find out that out. Um, I I felt very uh, consciously constructed as um, I, I don't know about feminist, but feminine. Um, in terms of like the the themes uh, that were developed, the themes of, of 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 the plot and the character, but like the visual themes, I I thought it was kind of um, really baked in with this. Uh, I thought I thought it was very feminine. Hmm. And so that's what struck me the most, like from the very beginning, like this opening montage of uh, a mother and a daughter um, and, you know, and, and this terminal illness um, and, you know, just the that kind of maternal um, bond being severed. Um, and then <laughs> these egg shaped spaceships that come down and I think they call them shells. Do I have that yeah, right? Yeah, I they think call so. Them shells? They call them the shells. And they, and they have this egg-shaped quality to them and then you go inside and uh there's these sort of um i might be stretching a little bit here but these kind of umbilical cord <laughs> aliens in this womb-like interior um except it's better lit um <laughs> and and they speak in this circular language which uh you know just like visually the 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 language itself just has kind of felt real feminine to me like an ovum um and it all kind of represents the circle of life and all connects back to 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 motherhood and and um i don't know like i just like in the whole like uh rejecting conflict and war in in favor of empathy and uh communication like i felt like it felt very intentionally without making a political statement within the movie, like it was never kind of pointed right. in it. I just felt like it really um, just had a f female point of view through the whole thing. So that I was really um, surprised, uh, like I said, to, to see that it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it didn't have a, a, that kind of, it didn't have it come from that authorial uh, voice. So maybe I, I was reading more into it than was there, but I, that's how I, that's how I experienced it. Hmm. So that's uh, what stood out to me about it. And I, and I, and I thought the whole thing was really good. I thought all the language stuff was really interesting. Like it engaged, it engaged the cerebral, uh, filmmaker in me more than the emotional one. 
um, but in a very pleasing way for me. Yeah, That's my I, hot take. I I wish I was in a better mental state to discuss this because I I feel like my mind is a blank. Um, what? I I was I was you know. I, I was picking up on on things you were saying. I was trying to like, oh yeah, and then I just I have nothing. It's it's weird. I, my mind's kind of a blank, which is weird because this is one of the richest films we have to discuss. <laughs> I can't even think straight. Um, well, tell me about how you experienced it. You experienced it in a different way. Well, that's just it. I'm trying to. It's my mind is like uh, is just a it's a steel trap that's just not opening. <laughs> it's the opposite use of that idiom um well you uh, felt like it was bigger than you so well well, well i mean like, well, did you feel that as you were watching it or was it on further reflection no no as i watch it i i mean the, the 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 great part about it was i don't feel like there was nothing i was there was nothing i felt like i was missing like i i remember like I can f contrast that experience a lot with Donnie Darko where I was watching it being amazed and enthralled, but I knew there was something I wasn't grasping on the first viewing. Um, yeah. Yeah, Donnie that, Darko kind of feels like it's a puzzle as right. you're watching it. Right? And I got it all except for like one part where I was like, I don't know. And, and, and the more you watch it, the more I, if I wonder if it was, if it, if it was me that was deficient or, or the actual production. But um, uh, then you go on and you, but with Arrival, it's, and this is why I'm going to apologize for my inability to think at this moment, it, because it, it, it was all, every, every deep, deep, deep layer that it went to in terms of, you know, this is sort of, of, of linguistics and, and, and time and, and, and will and, motivation and 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 teamwork and and uh community and 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 global community and your place and all and and uh and everything just it was all present but i was still going i was still going with it wherever it was going to take me and i don't know about you but i felt like i caught on to um that heartbreaking realization that the uh the what we thought were flashbacks were flash forwards and that when she was seeing these that we thought she was seeing vi memories but what she would do it was doing was experiencing visions yeah and un and like unaware of what she was experiencing and so when that i felt like i had it at, at just the right time like just like three seconds before she says, who is this child? <laughs> you know, three seconds before she says that and then says that. And then it's just, it just, it just, it's gutting. Um, Wait, when does she say that? She said, you hear her breathe it. She kind of breathes it very quietly over one of the flashbacks. Oh, over one of the flash forwards. Um, I can't remember now when exactly it happens, but it's either when she's going in or before, around the time she goes into the actual chamber with the heptapods uh, or during the conflict at the end uh, when she's trying to call contact China to call off the uh, attack. 
to call off their assault. Um, I can't remember she, which. She whispers, who is this child? But there's no well, child. She, well, she's looking at her memory and she's seeing the memory of, of this, of her daughter. Okay. And she says, who is this child? And that's when we, I realize you realize when it's confirmed that she hasn't met this person yet. Okay. This person she's, doesn't exist she's, yet. She's remembering something that hasn't happened yet. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this whole time she did not know what she was seeing and which leads to uh, actually the one thing of this movie in which we should have given a huge spoiler warning for this <laughs> um the one aspect of this movie that i that i'm that i'm can't work out there's only one thing and it's minor but it's only one there's only one thing about this movie that i don't fully that's puzzling me okay and that is this, and it's be and, and it's because I I do think incredibly linearly. So, she, so Amy Adams discovers, you know, because of her her study of the language, she's starting to experience time the way the heptapods do. And that time is all one circle and happening all at once, and she's starting to see the future, as, you know. So the the question I'm having is is she see, which is like this one moment this one trouble moment coming up is she experiencing time all at once or is she centered in her own time and just seeing time like we are um front and back so here's it comes so she um the, the Chinese general is going to uh, uh use a weapon on the, one of the shells mm mm-hmm. mhm she steals the cellular, this global positioning phone, um, and and runs up the corridor, and everyone's drawing their guns on her for treason, and she's locked in the thing, and she calls the general. Yeah. They flash forward. I can't remember at what point in the sequence, but they they flash forward to later when she is at this at, banquet at this at this conference that presumably she is presenting at because she's written this book on the heptapod language and they got the language on banners. So this is way in the future when everything's fine. And she turns and she's meeting the general for the first time face to face. And he says to her, when you called me, or no, 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 no. We, you said I had to meet you because when you said my wife's dying words to me, that was the thing that convinced me and I had to meet you. And she looks confused. Right. Amy Adams looks confused. Like she doesn't remember this. You know what this she... scene reminded me of? What? I'm interrupting your point totally. Sorry. Did this scene remind you at all of uh, Lost Highway with Robert Blake? I've not seen Lost Highway. You haven't seen Lost Highway? No. Oh. I think I tried to start it once and I just never finished it. Spoiler alert for yeah. you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So for anyone anyone who's seen Lost Highway, when Robert Blake comes up to um, Bill Pullman in the party and hands him the phone and says, "Call me," <laughs> <laughs> he, the way nope. the way that the, the the general talks to her reminded me of the way Robert Blake talks to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Except Robert Blake is like this super creepy, like little demon man, <laughs> um, and. This general is supposed to be extremely warm-hearted in this so, moment. So you were, very, you were speak in this very slow, deliberate, quiet manner, <laughs> so, and like the camera angles are even really similar. 
<laughs> the lighting isn't at all. But it, it really reminded me. Of, and then in that scene, uh, Robert Blake's like, I'm in your house right now. And he's like, you can't be in my house. And he hands him a phone and says, call me. <laughs> and, you know, and so for them to be talking about this phone conversation at the same moment, like it was like this really weird parallel. <laughs> so you were just giggling through all this. Where like you're where, right. Where like in both cases, there's like parallel conversations happening with the same person between the same two people. It's very, <laughs> is a really weird echo. Okay. Anyway, but you were making a point. I was making a point. So she seems very confused and she says, I called you, didn't I? And he goes, yes. And I figured you needed to see this. And he writes down his private number and shows it to her on, on his phone. Now, now of course, my, I did have to admit, I did think of Bill and Ted at that point. <laughs> and I did think of trash can. Remember a trash can? And then I thought, he goes, I was, we got to go back and set that trash can later. Hey, but it already happened, right? So we don't have to. I did right. think of that. Right. Um but um but here's the thing. Okay, back this this is this is this is my confusion. And and maybe you can square me on where my my logic is is wrong because it's a logic problem for me. So she, Amy Adams in that moment seems confused. She does and she says I called you I, I called you didn't I? So she didn't know until that moment that she had called the general. And so I go, okay, so wait a second. In all the other flash forwards that we thought were flashbacks, the the Amy Adams who was present with her daughter knows the context of what of where she is, right? She seems to know. She seems to know there's that that's her daughter and that's her thing. And and maybe not. Maybe she's in there and and she's kind of running on autopilot and feels out of sorts or whatnot. But it seems to me that in all those flash forwards when she's experiencing time uh, non-linearly when she's circularly or all at once um, she is present in the and has knowledge of the context with which she's in but if that was the case she would have the knowledge you know it, it, uh, you know she would have the knowledge that she had called the general she just didn't wouldn't have had the memory yet of what she had accessed. You know what I mean? She would have the memory that she would have called in the past. Not like, so, but the so way you've, you've, you brought up Watchmen, right? Right. Do, recall, do you remember, do you remember all your Dr. Manhattan, uh, John Osterman, when he explains how he is experiences time, right? Cause he has a similar, he's got a similar thing going on where he can see the future in the past. Right. And the way he explains it in that story is that he, for him, it's all happening at the same time. Right. So even though he can see the future, he's still going to act surprised when it, the future happens. Hmm. Because for him, the, the future and the present are the same. Ah. Okay. He's but experiencing then, all at the same time. So, but you're gaining, but one, since one informs the other. You know what I mean? Since the past informs the future, the past and the present both inform the future. There's that there there is a, a connective tissue. You're not you don't have this the same unchanging memory at every point in your life, right? 
I, you know, I, so I, right. So in, in the Watchmen, uh, in the Watchmen universe, Dr. Manhattan's experiencing quantum time. So right. it, it happens, it's kind of, I don't know if it's how well it's explained or accurately explained. I don't really understand quantum theory very well, but, um, but it's that he, it's that he's experiencing all time simultaneously. Yeah. So it's all the present for him, even though right. he, he's accessing the future for him. It's the present just as much as right. any other moment is They're They're indistinguishable, indistinguishable. Yeah. And I guess that's the limit. So I don't know if that is what's happening here. I'm that, you know, that you could take that as a model to explain right. what you're saying. So causality in, in, in the quantum explanation, like causality kind of goes out the window. Right. Because I from and I'm sure it's a it's 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 a limitation of my own logic to to actually comprehend such a thing as you know I can't beat myself up about that I guess when you're talking about experiencing time all at once but <laughs> on a quantum level but my my inability to think past the linear um, I mean you know my my uh, um, imagination of what Doctor Manhattan would be experiencing is kind of a well, now I'm I'm kind of existing in a state where I have all knowledge of everything at all times, because with a cause with a causality of of learned experience, you're going well. If you're in the past, then you can know the future. That means if you're in the future, you're going to know the past. Here, Amy Adams is in a point where she well, I've got she that can, superpower. She can yeah, but but sometimes. But here, Amy Adams is where she knows the future. She can see the things of the future, but in the future, she can't see the past. Well, who says she can't? Well, that that scene seems to denote that she does not know what the past was. Oh, right, because it's no longer the past; it's all the present now. But I guess she had already. Know. Like she, I, I, I didn't watch this as like a puzzle movie. Um. Well, no, it, it wasn't a puzzle movie. Just this one moment. Just this one moment yeah. made me very confused as to how it all worked, because in every other mo every other moment we were seeing these things as as they were just snippets from her life, and then in this moment, and that might have been the thing that the key change was like this is a moment where it's not preordained, you know, it's not. It's not a, yeah. a fixed destiny. This is a, a moment where everything hinges. So if she's really using her collective power, uh, collective ability to pull all of time together in her mind and think about it and, and, and then make effects, then she can probably will these, you know, would have a more present consciousness in each moment rather than just seeing, quote unquote, a movie of the future played to her. So, but still, in that moment, I was just weirded out that I, it threw me out of the movie. That's the only time I was taken out of the movie when I was like, "Wait a second, wouldn't uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't Amy Adams know that she had called at that point? She doesn't know she would have called in this moment when she in, in when she's running through the 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 military uh, base uh, corridors. Yeah. She wouldn't know that. But if she's accessing the future. Well, she's still learning how. I she's guess she's learning I how. Don't know, cause so she's, yeah, it's she hasn't mastered the language. Because if she, yeah, if she's if she's standing at this banquet and discussing about the heptapods language, she knows she had gotten out of that situation. You know, 
She would have had to, otherwise she wouldn't be there discussing the language. She would have gotten out, you know, she would have the the, the she would have gotten out of the the situation with the military drawing their guns on her and the shells being attacked by the Chinese. You know, that would know. have all resolved itself. Otherwise she wouldn't be at that banquet. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's the part that that just makes me go, Bruh. and if anyone out there can can write me and see where the flaw in my logic is, because I know there is one, um, um, because there, there's also the the part, and and I know this is going to make it laugh because there's the part about Back to the Future Two that bothered me the most. <laughs> the the only thing I really had a problem with was Doc Brown takes Marty. And his girlfriend in the future, into the future, to because he's got a problem with his kids. Yeah. He takes him into the future, and then we see old Marty there with his family. Now, I haven't seen what Back to the Future two or three. Oh, you haven't. I haven't, but that's okay. okay. All right. Well, I don't think I, this is going to be too much so of a much spoiler. So much has trickled to me, uh, uh, right? Just through. The zeitgeist uh, that go ahead. I, I don't think this is going to be too big of a spoiler. He goes to the future and he kind of walks around his future apartment with his where he now he in the future lives, and he's, uh, uh, and so future Marty has acts, and he, they never they never interact. Okay, but future Marty doesn't seem to have any knowledge that he ever time traveled to the future because you would think that a future if marty is there in the year 20 i think i think we just passed the day he went to the future <laughs> recently if Mar if marty mcfly goes into the future and he and and he's he's aged as an as an older man in the future presumably he has come back in time to the past or at some point and then lived out his life. Otherwise he would have just been disappeared through time. He didn't just get in a time machine, go away. And then another version of him just materialized and then lived his life. He disappeared from his timeline, went into the future and was gone for like, I forget the amount. Let's say, let's just say 20 years, 20, 25 years. Let's just say that. So he's gone for like 25 years of time, jumped to the future if Marty McFly is there in the future, he presumably he would have had to have a time traveled back to the past, any point during the past, and then continued living his life to that point. Otherwise, he would not be there, right? Can I ask you a, a different kind of question? <laughs> Do you enjoy time travel stories? <laughs> I because I, I kind of don't. Um, I. I, I wouldn't say it's a genre that I I don't particularly have a have a glee for time travel movies. Having said that, there are a lot of time travel movies I do like. Yeah. Um a lot of them actually. And the the ones with the least glaring logic holes are my favorite. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just bugs me that like Marty McFly has no idea that he traveled to the future to see himself. Like he would be like ready for him that day, right? He would be ready, like, you came to see me on this day. I came to see myself on this day, so this is the day that I'm going to show up. Unless he's hopping to an alternate timeline, but that's not how the movie logic works in the first one. Yeah. Where... Well, he comes. Uh, well, he does do something where they, he, 
he comes back to a different alternate timeline in the future because well because Biff got in the machine and went back and then came back. It's a very linear version of alternate timelines. You know right. what I mean? Where what you, right what you what you do while you're time traveling will directly affect yeah. your own timeline. Yeah. So it's like one line that keeps being jumped upon and being changed and jumped back and changed stuff like that. Um, so anyway, so so with that in mind, you know, I I, I realized that my limited knowledge of 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 alternate of, of or actually my unwillingness to think about alternate timelines um, uh, is 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 harboring my is what's causing my frustration about this movie because I'm sure it's not as illogically. It's not as a logical moment as I think it is, but it did take me out of the movie because I, I just because I thought to myself, well, if if she did remember that moment, it would be harder for us as the audience to understand what's going on, to be certain about what's going on. Yeah. So I kind of forgave it that, but it did just stick with me the whole time going, feeling like this movie was utterly perfect, except for this one, this one thing that was just like, well, wait a second. How did she not know she had called him? You know, and so, um, and I was not satisfied with any, either of my answers. But, uh, and so, anyway, but apart from that, I was so too enamored with the movie to know what to talk about on our episode because this was the only thing that I could think about <laughs> was the one thing that bothered me. Well, I had more, I had more, uh, moments that pulled me out of the movie. This movie gave me, it made me think about, um, the relationship between me as a viewer and suspension of disbelief because um, after that after that intro segment well the the opening montage um, which turns out to be a flash forward uh, it's funny we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy uh, on a recent episode and so it made me <laughs> I, w I was thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit uh, during that sequence oh gosh they do kind of open the same in a way don't they they both open with the death of a beloved family member yeah yeah and, right you, you go to the sci-fi movie and you're hit with this medical drama uh, first thing <laughs> yeah I did have that thing where I was like oh because this is the sort of thing that you know as a mother Carrie is very sensitive to and so I said, oh, but she loves science fiction. It's her favorite thing. And so we go out to see it. And like, this will be in something we just relax and, you know, keep, you know, see a, a good quality movie. And then it opens with dead kid. And we're all like, oh, I'm like, oh, what was, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I felt so terrible. So please continue. Uh, and then, uh, and then has a sequence where the, the, the arrival happens and you're on this uh, unnamed college campus and uh, and they have this whole sequence where everything is kept to a really small personal scale. You know, you find out how the world is reacting to aliens arriving by seeing how six people react, which I loved that. I loved mm -hmm. that whole sequence, how it all it, it all kept this very narrow focus and yeah. you had to extrapolate uh, the bigger picture um, from the from this very small scale storytelling yeah. reminded me a lot of Signs, um, which is still a movie I really love, except for the like the last two minutes. <laughs> I think I yeah I completely agree. That movie um, we saw that together as well. Did we? Yes, we did. Wow, we saw that in Chicago at uh, downtown. Yeah, I have a story about that too later, but we'll we'll get into that. Okay. 
Um, and so I love that sequence. And then when we get into the, uh, now we're in one of the Dakotas, North Dakota. I can't the Dakotas remember. are kind of like the Carolinas. I can never, I can never keep them straight. I thought it was Montana. Maybe it looks like Montana. Actually, it looks like Silmaria. So I don't know. Um, I can't I, remember. Growing up a crap of dental floss. I didn't see that. Anyway. Um, so we get to that sequence and then that's when I start leaping out of, of the, of the story. So we get the, so I'm, I'm going to kind of go, uh, linearly through the plot since you think excessively, what you, do you say extremely linearly is the way you think? Yeah. Uh, can I talk linearly to the movie for a moment? Sure. Um, which is the way I, it's the way I happen to experience movies. It's a time-based medium. Um, <laughs> Um, and we have the, the helicopter ride where uh, we have the introduction to the Jeremy Renner character, uh -huh. um, which I love. The some some moments. Uh, my wife has a great expression. There are some moments when you're watching, um, and when the characters speak, you see the courier type on the screen. That's the way she puts it, <laughs> where it just feels too writerly. And when he's like, "I'm reading the intro of your book." Hmm. Oh, here's your thesis statement. Disagree. <laughs> Pointedly disagree. <laughs> Wrong. Um, you say language. I say science. <laughs> um, I, I had I had no problem with that scene at all. I didn't feel very rightly about that at all. I, by the way, it took place in uh, the. That was the... one of those red arrow moments for me. It's like okay, difference in uh, character point of view. Coming to a head right here. Um, the, the, it didn't really play out that way in the rest of the movie. Like it felt like it was going to right then. The um, by the way, the military camp that Amy Adams and Jeremy Redder go to is takes place in Montana. Montana. It is Montana. Okay. Um. So right when we get to that that sequence where uh, they first arrive at the base. <laughs> so this is where um, I started having to think. Okay, am I am I suspending disbelief? Am I am I with this movie? And I decided I was, but it seemed very strange to me that, uh, you know, uh, you think of the military as like putting you through boot camp, uh, putting you through lots of training, really trying to prepare you for situations before you find yourself in them. You know, you think of crawling through the mud with under the barbed mm -hmm. wire with live ammunition firing over your head uh, in, in boot camp sequences and in, in all the movies you've seen. And they were like, um, we could tell you you're going to have to jump 90 degrees. <laughs> and we know what these aliens look like and we could give you a heads up about that. But no, we think we're just going to throw it in your cold and see how you take it. <laughs> you know, the last yeah. guy went insane right. from this. But we think we think we shouldn't give you any prep on this and just, you know, that we shouldn't try to soften this landing for you at all. Right. We should just let's just roll the dice with this one and see how it goes. Um, uh, so that kind of that kind of pulled me out of the movie a little bit um, or just the idea of, OK, we have a, um, a mind bogglingly uh, indecipherable alien language. Instead of assembling like a team of researchers to tackle this in a coordinated way and like maybe analyze this from different directions, let's just send them in one at a time until they quit or or lose their minds. Like that doesn't seem like the most uh, 
the most efficient use of resources to me. <laughs> um, if you're you're really trying to crack this nut, um, uh, or just the you know, um, I got a room full of generals that I got to answer to, but you're never gonna see any of them. <laughs> you're only ever gonna talk to just me and like a civilian in a suit. Well, isn't that <laughs> chain of command though? Guy. Isn't that chain of command? You know, maybe, but I mean, and I understand like how movies work is you, you have to boil things down. You need, you know, if you adapt a, a novel into a movie, you're going to boil the characters down and, and, uh, and reduce because you just need, you know, the economy of the storytelling just works that way. But when I've, we've already introduced like these other kind of question marks for me about like, how is the military approaching this problem of <laughs> these aliens landing um, or not landing, hovering? Um, and, and trying to answer these questions and, and going about it and by sort of questionable means, then it starts to just start raise all these other questions. Like, well, is this how the, really the military would operate? Like, I don't know. So then I, I just had to decide like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just, I just have to accept this as like the conditions of the, the story, uh, that we're operating in and, uh, and, and just ride with it. So, but it did, it did pull me out, um, a little bit, um, uh, Catherine made a great point of, of, you know, you're bringing in someone who studies human languages uh, for this language that there's no reason to believe that it's anything like human. And in fact, it sounds a lot like whale song. Why not bring in someone who studies whales, who studies whale song to to see what they can make of what these aliens are saying? So I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's all these like funny, funny questions for me. Or the scientist guy who... Um, He's there. Jeremy Renner is there to uh, find out what he can about alien technology. And rather than like take measurements, <laughs> um, uh, see what he can find out by direct observation um, and imperial empirical evidence. It's like, I'll just ask him. <laughs> I'll just wait till I'm just going to wait till language lady figures out the language and then I'll just ask him how their science works <laughs> like that seemed kind of I was to stand around here and just listen to the conversation and see what science I can get out of it that way it seemed that seemed like a strange approach to me but again again yeah again story. I accept it as just reducing what we were spending our attention on in the story right because uh, the story but, was is her not not necessarily, not necessarily him yeah so yeah. her work was really and and as it showed that like he very quickly his work m morphed into basically her work because what, what, what I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I never had to ask myself, am I going to go along with the movie? I, I was already going along with it. And I was going to ask what's your, what's your view on how they presented the military? Because I, I thought it was um, an oddly refreshing one in a way um, in that it, it wasn't the scientists constantly fighting the military on don't go in guns blazing we need to communicate it was like the military was wanting to communicate at all costs but ready the to United stop the states military right, right yeah exactly but ready to but worried that they would have to do something else and um and and uh constantly concerned if they were doing the right thing by by trying to communicate first and what so what we used to call the free world was trying to right yes. with the exactly so like we were so i i was willing to take on faith that like 
they had already tried teams of people and just they all went crazy and they were great they were trying to find other people to come in and and hence the theatrics of him just showing up on her lawn and in her office and and things like that um because when and and then when it gets down to it and i i didn't you know i i kind of i was thinking a lot about that too about uh why speak someone who's in the linguistics human linguistics because but then again, I'm like, well, what else do you have? Because you don't have humans are the ones with written languages. It's like, hey, you can you can study whale song, but you can't study their language because I mean, as far as their written language, because they don't have one. Not uh, that, that they'd known at that point, not which that is, know, yeah. Even though that was kind of weird too, like the whole their whole point in coming was to teach mankind their written language so they could see the future and help them out in the future. Yeah, and it's all collaborative. Ch- they sure took their time <laughs> revealing that they even had a, a written language, which which the thing which was the whole point, right? Exactly. But I mean, the spoken language don't to... do shit for the mankind, right? So, but that's all they speak in for the first uh, several conversations. I guess you had to that's... draw you had to draw them in, but but it made me think a lot about Abbott. The um, that this whole time, if you if if Abbott and Costello, the two heptapods, if they, if they experience time altogether as, you know, as a present, then Abbott knew the bomb was there, that the soldier had planted the bomb and that he was going to be destroyed. And it's really touching to me. It was really touching to me or not touching. It was tragic and heartbreaking, but moving to me to be in that theater when that bomb goes off and think about everything they were doing right before, like to be like, um, that the aliens knew that bomb was going to go off, but yet this was so important that they were going to keep trying to communicate because that was how you were going to survive as a species. And I found that very moving. Yeah. And, And they never came out and said, Oh my God, Abbott knew Abbott knew it was, it was, it's inherent when you think of how they work. They also so, never come out and say that the bomb is what killed Abbott or what started Abbott's death process. Right. They didn't say specifically. I didn't even no. think about that until after the movie. He just said he's in death process. Yeah. Like, oh, was it the bomb that did it? Probably. I mean, I assume. I guess. But there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot in something we could take a message from in a way is to say look here are these people that we are trying to communicate with and they struck out and hurt us it's in our still our best interest to communicate with them you know and like like that i don't know it was very moving to me can i just say i know you're a big abbott and costello fan (laughs) i am can i just say i would have preferred Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Just because I think uh, Oliver Hardy's hands are like the funniest things in all of comedy, practically. <laughs> Just the way the way Oliver Hardy uses his hands never fails to make me laugh. Just like watching him drive a car and just like the way he holds a steering wheel like will make me laugh every time. And to see 
uh, and Oliver Hardy Heptapod like slap his vagina tentacle <laughs> onto the glass yeah. probably would have been more than I could handle. Probably would have blown my mind. Can can I just say well, uh, this this is going to uh, confirm in listeners' minds uh, your statement previously about me watching other people watch movies. <laughs> but one of my favorite times watching you laugh <laughs> or rather a laugh we shared together was watching uh, the Laurel and Hardy movie way out Le- way out west yeah where which I just kind of watched the end of it recently just to see that the end sequence where they spend like 15 minutes getting a damn donkey up to the second floor and right. then it did like half a second it could the a beautiful shot of it just could be ran down the stairs and crashing taking out the entire staircase it's a really convincing dummy. Um, um, but the 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 sequence that I'll never forget you laughing so hysterically at is when Oliver Hardy and Stan show up. They've crossed the Old West to deliver uh, 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 this deed to this uh, woman in this colonial, you know, this Old West town, and then he's got like a locket that he's supposed to give her, or like a key around his neck. Mm-hmm. And so he tries. He's he 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 tries to take it off of his neck, but it drops into his shirt. And they spend like five minutes of him trying to get it out of his shirt, and to the point where he disrobes down to his long johns, right, in front of and her. Then- and then he, when he gets it, he gives it to her, and then picks up his clothes and goes, "Oh, pardon me," and walks in the other room <laughs> to put on his clothes. Right. Right, the formality. The formality I mean, that's of... so great about. It. They have this formality. They're dressed. They're always dressed very formally. He's got like seven layers of clothing on. He takes them all he's off in front of this woman. Long johns, and of course, he's wearing long underwear. And he takes. Um, he basically strips down to his underwear in front of this woman without comment on it. Like he doesn't right. say, "Oh, I'm sorry about this," or right. or, or 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 do you have a place that I could change?" He literally just strips down to his underwear, and then once he's you know done succeeded in his task he then has modesty <laughs> and then goes oh pardon me <laughs> my favorite my then favorite Hardy movie of, uh, my favorite Oliver Hardy moment of all time is in the music box when he falls uh, into a fountain and he's completely submerged he comes up and of course he's wearing his white gloves and he just rings out one finger of one glove he just he just like i've got to get the i've got to get the water off this one finger and he just like whisks it off that one finger and then he's and then you know has a slow burn in the water um for me there's no better oliver hardy moment than my favorite oliver my favorite laurel and hardy is uh short is big business yeah and and to me nothing drops my jaw more than oliver hardy um, hitting all those va- vases thrown at him with a shovel, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. It, 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 that that movie is like it's so slow and deliver and 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 almost amateurish, like a lot of the old movies were at that point. And then suddenly, just takes off, like slowly builds in a conflict, and then suddenly they're doing things that I didn't think were possible. Yeah, at that big time. business goes apeshit. It at goes, one point. <laughs> it just goes completely bonkers, yeah. and but but works with a speed 
that I didn't had just didn't see in those movies, and I was just utterly floored. Yeah. It's like they lulled me into submission to thinking that this could not happen. And yeah, I, I showed that to my kids, and they were like, holy shit, adults <laughs> act this way? <laughs> adults would even think of this? And then you said, don't curse, son. Uh, well, in this vein, um, yep. here's a little arrival, uh, a, a scene from Arrival um, for you. Enjoy. Listen up, team. We have to move up the schedule on decoding this alien language. In the next session, you're going to ask the big question. Who are they? And why did they come to this specific location? We aren't ready to ask those questions. Why not? Here, I'll show you. Ian, can I use your whiteboard? You, you mean the one that's filled with important scientific formulas? Yeah, I just need to erase these real quick. I casually object. Okay. Here I am writing out the big question, see? Now, to ask the question, first I have to teach them that it is a question, a query for specific information. Then I have to teach them the word who, as in a person, but not a specific person, like someone's name, but an abstraction for a person. Then, to teach them is, depends on what the definition of is is. And then I need to teach them the word on, which might not mean anything to them since they float at a 90 degree angle with no consistent direction of that we'd call up. So what we'd call on, they might call next to. And then I have to teach them the word first, which might have no meaning in their language since, as you're both aware, their sentences are circles with no beginning or end. And even if we teach them all that, we have to hope that their answers aren't a series of confusing homophones that cause us to misinterpret their answers. Now you listen to me. We are going in there, and you will ask this question. But I need your honest assessment. What are the odds we'll get an answer we can use? I don't know. Third base. Hi, Abbott. Hi, Costello. We're back. <laughs> Okay, Louise, y you better pop the question. Okay, here goes. <clears throat> Who's on first? Louise? Look, uh, Abbott drew a diamond shape. What a breakthrough. We haven't seen them write anything like this. My computer doesn't even recognize it. Looks like Shea Stadium. No, wait. There's too many bases. Seven instead of four. And there's something strange on that second one. What's on second? What did Costello say? Hold on. Translating. He says, This sketch is in death process. Uh, that I work with who uh, I had seen arrival over the weekend and I came in the next day to work and we were talking about it about the weekend and I, I said I saw arrival and he goes oh that's the one um, at first he didn't remember the title and then he said oh no that I saw that one yeah and I, and I go yeah Did he was think it had a different title 
I don't know. Did, I don't... He, have a, did he do what my dad does, where he he remembers alternate titles like? Oh, he, you know, uh, Cave Screen, that one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, that. Uh, ooh, we got to watch uh, Round Up the Unusual Suspects. That one. <laughs> well, that just that might be a cable tonight. That just might be a parent thing altogether. I'm sure I'm going to do it with whatever entertainment my kids use because my. Uh, I, I have to play that game all the time when my my mom says, oh, we saw a movie. It was, um, we walked out of it. It was terrible. Like, uh, we were, uh, it was just so filthy, the language. It was um, Fast Lemon. And I go, Fast Lemon. Okay, let's do the, was it Pineapple Express? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they had a good one for Little Shop of Horrors too. What was it? Well, this was Little House of Terrors. Is what that was. Oh, that's wasn't that fun. great? Edit uh, that one out. The Madness of King George was that crazy George. <laughs> that crazy George. Um, but anyway, so I we're talking to my uh, colleague about Arrival, and then he says, and I I, I don't want to disparage him because, and this is I'm bringing this up because I want to know how easy it is to make this mistake because he says to me you know i i didn't even know until after the i didn't even really realize till the end of the movie that jeremy renner and amy adams were married and i went well <laughs> they weren't you watched it wrong <laughs> yeah. and i went they they weren't and he goes what no they said they were i go no they were eventually but but they were, and we started talking about it, and I realized you supposed to figure that out. Even though, I mean, I, I, I mean, I saw that coming pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. Too. It's pretty. I mean, I mean, I figured it would get there, but it wasn't a surprise when it when it was him, right? Yeah. But um, but yeah, I had to basically unwrap. We had to talk about it and basically discover that he didn't get that those were flash forwards at all. He at by the end of the movie, he still had thought they were flashbacks, and so I was like. How easy was that to miss? I didn't think it was, but um, well, and this is this is uh, I guess to the movie's credit, the movie was still very enjoyable to him, even when he missed the entire point of the movie. <laughs> you know, it uh, it was uh, it was it still worked. Yeah, and I and I didn't feel that that I've seen a lot of people call it the twist of the movie, and I didn't think of it as a twist. I mean, like you've got. Um, it was a surprise and a revelation for sure. But like, you know, it was, it was, you know, and this is not the discredit, the sixth sense, but you know, the sixth sense basically has that, that the uh, very linear story where it's just using the, the assumptions you make of film language to just conceal a fact. And then to bring it at the end when you're like, Oh, it was there all along. You just assumed it. That right. he was there. It was really well done and really brilliant. And but um, but it it other than just making you feel kind of shocked and 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 more character revelation, the, the arrival takes that to a whole new level in terms of everything about the movie is wrapped up in that reveal, and that it's not just a a, a plot twist or a character twist. It's a it's a it's a revelation of everything, everything that makes up a movie. And it was, it, it, it was just so ecstatically, I was so ecstatic and 
I, I think I think I think why I, I reject the notion that it was a purely a cerebral uh, viewing of the movie for me was just that it 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 got me as a person who makes films and it got me as a person who experienced films altogether. And so I was, I was engaging with it on every level. And, um, that really, it was just really exciting to, to experience that. I, I think I, I was actually very, the, the, the writer of the screenplay who has a wonderful, um, the, I think, um, the, uh, Q and a with Jeff Goldsmith, um, podcast. Uh, they had all the Oscar nominated screenwriters on stage that she does every year. Uh, and he had everyone up there and they were all delightful. And, and, uh, uh, the, the writer for arrival was a very delightful speaker. I really liked him a lot, Eric. Uh, and it didn't occur to me until recently. I took a look at his, um, IMDb page and, uh, his previous screenwriting credits, uh, aren't aren't they're not extensive and they're almost probably not all they're probably not uh obviously they're not things he probably would have they're not original works of his and neither is this one to be fair this is based on a short story but uh he did he his previous credits beside uh, uh, a tv uh, episode for uh, called stranger adventures then the nightmare on elm street reboot the final destination five the thing reboot uh, uh, a movie called Hours, which he also directed, which I don't know anything about, and then the uh, another horror movie that came out this year, not the that, Virginia Wolf. Uh, no, not the no, not that one. The Hours. No, uh, and then uh, a uh, a movie that got some some critical notice this year, a little horror movie called Lights Out, also came out this year as well. Um, so I would say I would say the majority of his filmography was not were work was work for hire, but to me to see Arrival as a screenplay is, is, uh, um, I, I think the screenplay is just, is utterly amazing and, 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 and well done uh, and more than well done. And so I know the director's taking a lot of credit for it, uh, or rather a lot of things we've read that keep talking about the director's thing and, and absolutely hands down, no question, but you also got to go, well, he is working off a script. <laughs> I think the the writer here, and I, I'm curious to see what the original short story is really like. And I love its title, which is more appropriate, called "The Story of Your Life." But that would have also given things away a little bit more, and been less less a a, a enticing to come to see this movie. Um, it would have it might have felt like a bait and switch to <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It makes you feel like it's a different movie you're going to see. Exactly. Movie. So. Yeah, by the way, there's one line in the movie I did not hear. I don't think, and I, I it really bu- bummed me that I didn't hear it. Me too. I wonder if it's the same one. Is it, is it the one at the beginning? It's near the beginning. It's 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 when she, um, when Force Whitaker comes to his her office, and at, says, and she declines. Uh huh. Or, or and he leaves, and she says, "Hey, who you're going to see so and so next?" At which Berkeley. at Berkeley, yeah. who I assumed because of this little interaction, my mind went to, okay, he's the father of the baby. You know, I thought that was kind of the point that this was there, but she said, he says, ask him what this thing translates to. And then force Lidicker lives, leaves. What's the, some word for war really translate to. Yeah. And then force Whitaker comes back Sanskrit. to her house, Sanskrit. Sanskrit. Word for war. Yeah. 
So she comes back. Uh, Forrest Whitaker lands on her lawn in a helicopter, opens her door, and she says, did you ask him what it meant? I, and then she, uh, Forrest Whitaker tells her what the guy said. Yeah. And then he says, what does it really mean? And she says, it means desire for more cows. So I I heard what I couldn't I couldn't hear that whole exchange. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, because that was a gorgeous line to say. Look, hire you. Know, I'm really the person because his his translation of this means something else, and mine, what I know it to be, is a desire. War is a desire for more cows. So, which is utterly brilliant uh, uh, to bring up. Um, however. I didn't hear what Forrest Whitaker said, the other guy said. And right. I'm, I'm glad I heard the one I did hear over the other, but I wanted to hear what he said. But that damn helicopter was just too loud. <laughs> Wait here in the editing room. Forrest Whitaker says, Danvers said that war translates in Sanskrit to argument, whereas Louise says, a desire for more cows. That damn helicopter was just too loud. <laughs> I didn't hear that. And that's why I always say there shouldn't be helicopters in movies. <laughs> it never works. It never adds anything. So so the There's not a single name a single scene in a movie where the helicopter couldn't be replaced with a hot air balloon. <laughs> uh for your eyes only. What? what? For, for your eyes only. The whole opening uh Blowfelt sequence where he can't drop the wheelchair into a snokestack from a hot air balloon. Well, I guess you could. <laughs> I I think there's not a single helicopter scene that wouldn't be improved. <laughs> that's a that's that's right. a bold I statement. A hot air balloon. That's a hard that's, stance you're taking there. That's uh that's Siggy Lama's <laughs> film rule number one. Well, my film rule number one is don't uh, have recessed lighting spotting mannequin heads in a blind man's house. <laughs> if you can think of a single scene in all of cinema history that features a helicopter that wouldn't be improved by replacing it with a hot air balloon, please write to Oh, you gonna... watched it wrong at happypanic.net or tweet us at you watched it wrong on Twitter. That's the letter U for that one. Or on our Facebook page, you watch it wrong, spelled like you should spell it in the real world. I have a feeling you're getting a, a ton of legitimate answers. You know, I would love to be proved wrong. I think, uh, I think, uh, oh, well, okay. Uh, I, was I would even love to be proven wrong. I think my previous answer stands, I don't think that sequence would be as good as a hot air balloon. I also think that uh, in Predator... Arnold Schwarzenegger yelling, get to the balloon, would be better. That's in Commando. <laughs> oh, it's in Commando? Yeah. No, it's in Predator. Because he yells to the girl to get to the chopper. History will be the judge. <laughs> Run! Go! Get to the chopper! No, it's Predator. Although I think around the world in 80 days would have been better with a helicopter in place of the balloon. It wouldn't have taken 80 days. Wouldn't exactly. What's the fun of that? 
Danny deck chair on a chopper. Ah, never mind. Uh, anyway, was uh, do, is there anything we left out? Anything you want to discuss? It, I, I, it made me think um, about these heptapods and the nature of them. Like, they don't just... What do they do when they're not visiting seven arbitrary geographic locations on Earth mm-hmm. to teach us their language? I mean, are they... Do they are they always taking a schwitz? <laughs> or is that only is that only to compensate for Earth's atmosphere? I, I was I was concerned, apparently needlessly in terms of the movie, but I was really concerned uh, both when she went uh, when she when mainly she went into the schwitz of uh, biological contaminants of her hurting them or vice versa. Because I was like, um, I was like, surely there's an ecological exchange that's hazardous here. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that stupid tank, or they wouldn't be in that environment that controlled the vibe. They'd be out walking around on the grass. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, that is if they knew or didn't know. And if they knew, they obviously did because they let her in. Um, so I don't know. It just uh, it uh, interested me. Uh, that that was certainly a concern, but then I realized the point of this movie is linguistics, not microbiology. So we're just gonna we're gonna I'll toss that out the window. That's okay. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot you have to toss out the window. Like when she comes back out, and it obviously, like the, nobody the sprays her the fuck her, down. Yeah, her scientist buddy seems like strangely incurious about what was that experience like. Maybe we should take a chemical reading off of you yeah. to see and, what that atmosphere is. Exactly. And and also I I will admit like like your sketch uh uh pointed out I could not believe that nobody objected when she just erased a large portion of all this math that people have been working days on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like no, but I just wanted to hear one eighty on the background. Hey. We have other whiteboards. I let me get you. Yeah, just go yeah, to oh, okay. here. <laughs> this is an earth-saving exercise. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, you know, I have to say this is a recordly, recordly. This is a, a a record for the shortest discussion on uh, you watched it wrong thus far. Um, should we have some bonus discussion? Yeah, I think we should. Now, so, uh, but l- allow me to say, uh, I, I, uh, I regret not having more to say. I really do. My mind is not working today. I apologize. I think because this is such I a think rich your movie. Mind was blown. That's what I think. It was. It was just totally blown. And never recovered. So, um, but if you, so I would say if you want your mind blown as well and not be able to talk very well in future discussions, definitely watch Arrival. But if you haven't seen Arrival and you're listening to this, what are you doing? (laughs) I question, I think your mind was blown by another movie. (laughs) You should really be managing your time better. Well, Wade. Yes. Speaking of movies mm-hmm. and time, uh, in less than twenty-four hours, the eighty-ninth annual Academy Awards—is it eighty-ninth already? AKA the Oscars mm-hmm. will have surpassed 
uh, surpassed itself, have passed into history. <laughs> um, and not having uh, a circular, uh, omni, omniscient uh, sense of time, thanks to uh, inadequate language skills, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Anyone right. listening to this ha knows what has happened with those mm -hmm. awards. But uh, given the field of best pictures, what are your favorites? So, um, who do you if you if you could give the statue, who would you give it to, and who do you think will win it? Well, I would say we're just talking about best picture. Yeah, just let's just stick with Best Picture. Just with Best Picture. Okay. We can't so go all night long. The nominees for those listening to in the far future, the nominees uh, for this year are Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Now, um, I've not of those ones, I've not seen Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion... I guess that's it. Yeah, because I just saw Hacksaw Ridge last night uh, okay. against my... I, I, I was able to get it for a buck, so I took it. Um, Old $5 way. Exactly. Can't pass up any movie that's less than $5. <laughs> well, I was trying to see as many as I could before the thing, and that, that one was available. And, and, and I have to admit, the trailer got me against my will because... I, I inherently I do like the idea of the story, which was based on a true story. It, it's very good, but it's it's when watching it, it's hard. It's hard to square. If I think the filmmakers bought what they were selling, I don't know. It's I, I couldn't I couldn't. It, it's hard to square. And and the, and the movie it gets kind of cheese. Fe it's kind of a cheese fest in a way, and like it it's it's it has a purported non-violence theme but then gets really orgiastic in its war scenes. Yeah. And so it's like, it, 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 it just totally doesn't work for me. So again, uh, Watchmen, the movie. Yeah. The same, same thing, same thing, same, same, thing. Yeah. same problem. It's like, this is a movie about nonviolence and, 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 and it just, just loves it. Um, so, uh, so that to my not, I have not seen hidden figures, fences or lion. Um, uh, my my. Uh, here's what I think should win. I think Arrival should win. Because what? I, what? Because of its enormity. Well, because of everything about it. Um, what I what I what I would be ecstatic if it did win was Hell or High Water. I would be happy with. Um. I would be I'll be very happy if Arrival, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea or Hell or High Water take home the prize. My um my feeling is La La Land is going to win and that's okay. It's not I'm not I don't object to that. Uh it's just that the other ones are so much better. Um <laughs> uh, and, and still again I have to see Lion and Fences and Hidden Figures. I have not can't see those um but that my prediction is la la land my my pick is arrival and my secret love is hell high water <laughs> um okay what about you uh i have only seen three of the nominees those are 
Two we have discussed, La La Land and Arrival, and then just tonight I saw Moonlight. Mm. Um, and I, I agree with you, uh, La La Land will probably win. Um, but I of those three, I thought Moonlight was by far the best film. Um, it was the one that that uh, um, gripped me emotionally the most. I thought it exhibited the the best craftsmanship um, of of all of them. Um, it really uh, really struck me um, more than any movie I've seen recently in terms of of the sort of mastery of the direction, the confidence, mm -hmm. the confidence and mastery. Um, of just having these really small moments that are really emotionally powerful and aren't accentuated really obviously. Yeah. But but captured nonetheless and like and really resonate. And just that confidence, like really subtle camera moves or something, um, but otherwise not calling them out. Like just right. you know, like right, the moment yeah. when uh, who's the guy who plays Cottonmouth in... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, oh, I, I wish I could pronounce his name, but I, it's Michelle Ali. I, I don't the know The moment when... Him, the, but the, he's amazing. Yeah, the moment when the, the boy Mayor is Sean. having is at his house the first night. Um, oh. And he's they're, they're asking him, him and, he and uh, Janelle Monet are asking him about his parents. And, you know, and you get the first... I, I don't remember what the line is, but, you know, things aren't good at home. Like, you know things mm -hmm. uh can you tell me who your mom is like i'm not gonna tell you who my mom is like it's obvious like things aren't good with him and his mom and just the way it it's like a two shot it's it's there's never there's no close-up uh but just like the way it captures uh i'm sorry to call him cotton mouth the way it captures cotton mouth's reaction <laughs> which is like the whole is like the uh, like the emotional thud of the yeah. of the scene and it's done it at distance and it's just like this really subtle camera move, just to like shift the frame towards him, and the, the and the, the the how the actor like registers it in a very subtle way, but like just for like that to land like a fist in your gut, like in that moment, and you know yeah. like it's gonna have implications further on. Just like that level of mastery and confidence in your craft that you know you you captured that and you you got that across your audience with that level of subtlety, and just the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, exhibited that like I was it Moonlight blew me away I thought yeah. Moonlight was uh, a pretty amazing piece of filmmaking no no question it's it's amazing in fact I think um, though I think with the La La Land backlash that's inevitable with anything that everybody loves um, I think it'll probably take home director for sure probably more of a certainty than 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 the uh, uh best picture oscar but yeah. i would think that barry jenkins for moonlight should really get that one i mean manchester oh, man. I hope so it, because it's moonlight is is is, is really incredible that the the that actor specifically will, uh, ali's last name we'll call him that just for those who, who may not have known he was we were calling him Cottonmouth because that's who he plays on luke marvel's luke cage um and uh, that's the only we did. It's the only thing we we'd seen him in before. Although I know he's Cotton in Mouth is easy to remember. It is easy to remember. But yeah, that's he, he and and everybody that played the main character were were just phenomenal. Uh, but that 
tables that dinner table scene where uh where the little asks him you know does he deal drugs and what does the word fag mean and does he deal drugs to my mom yeah that is hands down one of like the best scene i've seen in a very long time in in every sense of it but his performance in that is so heartbreaking because he and and so noble too he tells it to him straight though it breaks his heart he's got no he can't he can't say anything different yeah and it he can't he he's it's it's hard facts he has to face it's amazing it's and then it breaks breaks my heart as a viewer that we never see him him again yeah again in the film to like redeem himself in any way from that moment right yeah it's 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 a incredible piece of work. I I I again, if that one wins, uh, picture director everything, it should. It serves every second of it. Yeah. And talk about a movie that never once glorifies violence in any way whatsoever. No, you, yeah, absolutely. There's no, you never get juiced up for, for any moment. In fact, I spent most of that movie like dreading something horrible happening. Which yeah. if a movie can do that to me, like that's that's like the, the that's not the best thing I can say about any movie is if it has me curled up in a ball dreading that something's gonna happen. Yeah. Like if it can if a movie can affect me that way, it's done something, you know? Yeah. Ma- uh, Manchester by the sea does that similarly. It's a, it's it's really it's really masterful that movie as well. If if I had to put, I, I it almost hurts me to say it, uh, because because that movie is so good. But I I would put Moonlight as a as a above Manchester by the Sea really in terms of of of, of that. It's it Moonlight is is though that was just a masterful work of 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 writing, directing, and performance. Um, Moonlight really is uh is, is much. I don't know. It's more powerful in the in in, in several senses. I'm just saying that we have a year this year where we have several over half of the nominees are over half of the nine nominees are far and away the best picture winners in any other year. Mm. They would be the, they would be the front run. They would be like no con. They wouldn't be contested in any other year. Was it uh 2006? But- we had, uh, um, no country for old men and there will be blood. And- yeah. Children of Men. Yeah, yeah. Like like, two of my, maybe my three favorite films of that decade. Right. If you're like, oh. Definitely definitely Children of Men and There Will Be Blood will be our top two of the aughts. Sure. Yeah, I've, I think, I think one of the most heated arguments I've ever had was about Children of Men. (laughs) That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, me too. It's 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 just it's amazing. Yeah, like horror movies don't scare me. Children of Men scared the shit out of me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just too plausible. Yeah, it shouldn't be as plausible as it is. Exactly, it really shouldn't be, but it, it totally is. Um, I do have a question, but since you haven't seen Manchester by the Sea, I bet it'd be hard to to to. I place Casey Affleck kind of at the top of my list of of for that category because which category for best actor 
Oh, and I, I don't for this year for this year, and he's okay. nominated for this year. Manchester by the Sea is is a. It's one of those performances that you just you can't deny in any way of how great it was. But now I'm torn because, and I I hate I hate saying this. I, I mean I I hate it's I, not that I hate saying this. I am uncomfortable with that um, pronouncement, mainly just because. You know, I think I, I brought up on Facebook the idea of, you know, I was surprised that Mel Gibson was um, nominated, and and uh, you know we were reflecting on, uh, uh, you know, Trump's uh, uh, election, and and here's um, um, you know, and Mel Gibson's nominated for this movie, and you're you're going, well, it's is this being, we're all, okay, I take it back. It, it it gets into the whole separating the artist from the art. Can you enjoy the art of someone without the Bill Cosby, Mel Gibson, yeah, this chaos of and Casey Affleck uh, has been uh, is, has has a sexual harassment suit going on um, that may have may have settled out. I'm not sure, but the details can't really be discussed. But the details that have been printed, um, while they're not to the level of you know Bill Cosby or or whatnot, they. Uh, they're 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 unsettling, and they're like you're basically like yeah this is a guy you don't want to be around if that's true what happened, so like, but then you but then you sit there and you go okay well this is best actor not best person, you know, <laughs> this is the best performance of a year versus who is the nicest guy of the year but then you're like going okay well who are we we are doing this though to celebrate putting you know somebody this artist works so if we're celebrating the artist we're celebrating the artist so where do you come down on like like is it where do you come down on that on the question of should we should we reward people for work when their character main um, is now publicly in question it's it's interesting you bring this up now because uh, just this past week I started playing Bill Cosby albums for my kids, which is something I'd always imagined I'd do like for my entire life. I was like, right. these Bill Cosby albums are something I will be able to share with my children, and then nope, uh, and, and they will enjoy them the same way I did, and then uh, like ah oh, damn, and it was even like we had a road trip planned. When the accusations uh, started, like all like the 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 avalanche of them hit, like we had a road trip coming up. I was like, okay, well I'll be able to play the Bill Cosby albums on that road trip to occupy time. I'm like, ah, oh, I guess not. Um, but then this week I I played I played um, I played Chicken Heart off of Wonderfulness for the kids. When I'm when I'm trimming their nails, I tend to put on uh, uh, some comedy. Um, album or song like Smothers Brothers or something mm. to listen to because then they sit still and I can attend to their personal hygiene um, without turning on the TV one more time. Right. Um, so I, I try to encourage that and I just like it was at a point where I just like couldn't think of anything else that I knew was family safe. So that's the irony of it is I know Bill Cosby <laughs> will be family safe, right? <laughs> So I, I played it for them, and 
Um, I, I started writing an essay about this yesterday, actually, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase my essay. Um, so I played Chicken Heart, which I don't know if you know. It's always been my mm -hmm. favorite Bill Cosby bit. Um, it's where he's – it's one of the ones where he's a kid. I always love the, the best, his stories, his reminiscences of his, his, his own childhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of the ones where he's, you know, he loves being scared of monsters. Um, he's got lots of bits about being scared of monsters. And his parents leave him home alone. And so he sneaks out of the crib because he's nine years old but still sleeps in a crib. And he listens to the scary radio show. He listens to, and funny, said something else with this title, but he listens to Lights Out. And then he recreates a radio play. And, of course, it's a funny one. It's about a chicken heart that eats New York City. So that's something you would have actually heard on Lights Out, I'm guessing. Um, but he does the whole... It's just him, of course, and a microphone, but he's performing a radio play that, and him listening to the radio play and his reactions to it, and it's it's a work of genius. I mean, it's a it's an amazing performance, and it's hilarious. And he's doing sound effects, and he's doing multiple voices, and it's all completely seamless. And uh, and I've always, ever since I was a kid, that was my favorite Bill Cosby bit. Um, and of course, the the kids went nuts for it, and then they just wanted to hear more and more. And so I played them Buck Buck and, um, and and other stuff. And so, and you know, now they're listening to it on their own and memorizing the bits exactly the same way I did when I was a kid. And uh, and it's and now I'm like I'm at the point where like okay, if they get, if they're gonna start talking about Bill Cosby at school. They're going to hear. They're going to find out. So, yeah. like, uh, you know, how do I sit? How do I break it to them that <laughs> this guy did some really horrible things? And, you know, I can't how much of the horrible things he did, allegedly, but let's be real. There's a pattern here, right? Um, how much can I even explain? Like, what? They're going to want to know what it is he did. And how much of that can I even really talk about, uh, given their ages? Um, and so I, I, I like, what's the lesson I want them to take from it yeah. and, you know, and they're enjoying it. I'm, I can't laugh at it the same way I used to, even though I could still appreciate the craft, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the craftsmanship is, is impeccable. Um, but I can't laugh at the same way. <laughs> I can't laugh at it the same way I used to. So... Uh, so how do I talk about his work in relation to, to him as a person, you know? And for me, it comes down to a question of, uh, is, you know, do I talk about him like he's a monster or do I talk about him like a person who made mistakes, you know? Um, yeah, or a person who, who hurt people, you know? Yeah, right. Well, and you can't even necessarily say, mistakes. well, this is someone who was this one thing and then became something else later. Can't right, even really say that. At the same time. Right. Right. And I know you've, you've, you gave up on uh, the TV show Game of Thrones, but mm -hmm. um, my favorite chapter in the, in the books, in the novels, is I think it's in the second book Clash of Kings. Um, and it's uh, it's a uh, Davos chapter, the Onion Knight, 
the guy who got some of his fingers chopped off by Stannis Baratheon, you may remember. Mm. Uh, he's hanging out with Stannis, and uh, you know, part of the story between them is uh, Stannis was under siege at Storm's End, and uh, Davos uh, saves the saves them by uh, delivering a, bo- a boatload of onions. He smuggles them in because he was a, a smuggler, and so Stannis, being the, this incredible hard ass. <laughs> Um, rewards him with a knighthood, but in the same moment, chops off three of his fingers as punishment for smuggling. So he saved <laughs> he saved his life by smuggling. But he's like, well, smuggling is a crime, so you got to pay. So he chopped off three of his fingers and then knighted him <laughs> in the same in the same stroke. Yeah. And uh, and so like this has earned from Davos like undying loyalty because he just sees in Stannis like an incredibly disciplined um, Mm -hmm. virtuous like clear-eyed just guy right like yep yep he delivered justice he he punished me and he rewarded me in the same ceremony and I deserved both of those things you know and uh, and and so they're having a conversation about that and Stannis says in in this course of this conversation that the good and the bad exist side by side. One does not erase the other. Right. You know, the good does not cover up the bad. The bad does not cover up the good. They're both there. Um, and then later in the same chapter, this is why it's my favorite chapter, uh, Stanos tells Davos he has to uh, accompany Melisandre, the red priestess, the red woman, on a secret mission, and he doesn't tell them him what it's about, and uh, and Davos doesn't trust the Red Priestess because she's like burning people alive <laughs> um, for her for her Red God, Roller, um, and while he's like rowing her, smuggling her, basically, um, uh, they have a another conversation where she's trying to she's trying to tease out Davos's loyalty because she knows he's not a f- believer in her god she's trying to figure out his loyalty to Stannis and so uh and so she, her point to him is she asks him if an onion is partially rotten is it a good onion or is it a rotten onion hmm. and she says if an onion that's half rotten is a rotten onion because she she has this um, uh, very black and white sense of of the world, and so I, I try to think of those two things side by side. You know, in terms of looking at Bill Cosby, is you know, like at what point does a person become such a monster that they're irredeemable, right? Right. Where you can't, you can no longer see the good in them, um, and and I try to teach my kids that there aren't good people or bad people there are just people who make good decisions or bad decisions Mm -hmm. but at some point you make enough bad decisions and there's a pattern to your bad decision makings and those decisions consistently hurt other people that you you're wise to treat them like a bad person right yeah in your real life, like if you're interacting with them, like that's just someone you should stay away from. 
um, they they're they're not irredeemable until they choose to acknowledge their own rottenness. Even if they right. can't cut it out completely, they have to at least confront it. And you know, Bill Cosby certainly isn't doing that. Um, he's in full denial mode. Uh, so you know, it, it's just hard to 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 gauge. Like, so can you? Hate to push this metaphor. Can you pull the the skin off of the onion if the skin is his comedy, and uh, enjoy that? I mean, that it he was a genius. Yeah, you know these are these are works of genius. You can yeah. look at them and say he was a master of his craft, one hundred percent. You know both both sides of him are irrefutable. I I think the 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 real dilemma comes with the attachment that we have to the genius part where you're like well so you know the, the there's a sense of justice whether right okay like i i would like i would always like bad people to be redeemed you know what i mean i would always like mm -hmm. i would and i would always like i would always prefer to become friends with my enemies. And I really would. But at the same time... Like Robert Baratheon does. <laughs> don't get the reference. The next... <laughs> the, um, but the at the same time, there, there's that weird sense of justice where you're like, why should I be... How can I celebrate somebody if I know they're XYZ? Um, and, and, and so you're like, that's what, basically what I'm saying is my personal enjoyment of one aspect of their life is far more important to me than, than the, um, and this is where I get come to, cause I'm not sure what to call the rest of it. The, the public shunning, the outward, uh, uh what's the, uh, dis, disown, condemning, put it that way. When you're always asked to condemn the actions of so and so, mm -hmm. um, to basically say I am not okay with this. Um, there's actually a fantastic, great. Uh, Let's just say, like a, a group of white supremacists are big fans of yours, right? Yeah. Like condemning, <laughs> condemning well, that. Well, yeah, nice. yeah, for, or yeah, exactly. And then, and and what if you know? What if there's a song that you just love the beat to, but its lyrics say, you know black people are inferior to white people and we should kill them all. <laughs> but the, the groove is really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do I keep listening to that song? <laughs> or maybe the singer uh, likes to pee on little girls. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, one, uh, the, the lyrics are part of the song. But then again, the Bill Cosby's not saying that stuff in his act. Because contrary to popular belief, the the uh, the the craft of a of a stand-up persona is that it's a persona. You're getting the illusion of getting the real performer himself. And um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I I don't know. It's a tough one because there are some things you just love so dearly. That you're just not ready to part with, and I think that I think that's a big big part of the backlash against political correctness. 
Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about, even people I truly admire, talk about uh, how political correctness, liberals are saying that political correctness are strangling the, 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 the country, our culture, and, and obviously their livelihood. But to me, political correctness just means being kind and accurate. That's, that's all that means to me. And, and when someone says, well, I want to make an ethnic joke about how an ethnic group acts that I perceive, but because of political correctness, I can't do it because it's, it's straight. No one can be funny anymore. And I'm like, well, it's only funny if you want to deride another ethnic group. <laughs> and I'm like, so I, I, I don't see that as being equivocal as, as, as a, as a quibble. Um, so the, the whole the term political correct politically correct has become so elastic. Yeah, I mean, I my my understanding is it started on college campuses as these are the these are the arguments that it's not, for lack of a better word, that it's not kosher to make. Um, that they're just beyond the pale, like, right? Such as eugenics. Um, yeah. Or uh, and, and and then it, it kind of uh, evolved into. Um, these are the, um, if you want to keep in mind how different, uh, communities like to think of themselves, then this is the language you would use to, to keep that in consideration. You know? Yes, exactly. And, and, and I think a lot of people denounce political correctness because they see it as I'm being attacked for calling someone from El Salvador a Mexican. You know, like I am like 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 I am being vilified and being called evil because I I just general for making a generalization. Right. Well, and, this and I'm like this well, gets into redemption. Sorry, you're making a point. Yeah. I want to make no, a no, no. point. You go ahead. Because it, it was all tie, it was all tying into yours. Well, yeah, this 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 gets an indention to uh, redemp the idea of redemption too, and um, and belief in uh, the power of education um, is intentionality counts for a lot. Yeah, and my I, my I, biggest you know, fear it, is that attention does not matter. I know, and I that's hate that's my that. biggest I, fear. I, I think that's um, that's where I think it becomes a problem. Like the whole concept of microaggressions. Um, is just by just by the assumptions you're making when you talk, you're hurting me, and that right. might be that might be true, but uh, to use that to condemn the the person who is committing the microaggression, rather than to point out the microaggression like the thing to do in right. that case i think would be to point out the microaggression exactly because you're then assume bad like assumes assume good intent you know assume someone's acting in good faith until they've demonstrated otherwise yeah. and the very fact that they've made a misstep or uh or a mistake or, or been insensitive or demonstrated bias like it might not be conscious like right i mean it's an opportunity out, it's engage an op and find out if it's intentional before you before you um, well it's a, it's an act of it's an opportunity for education rather than vengeance yeah or retaliation and, and part of the 
part of the place we're in now, culturally, part of the culture where we're in now, um, is a result. I mean, if you listen to what the alt right is saying or the anti liberals are saying, and it's pretty much an anti liberal movement, is really what it is. Mm-hmm. What they, what they're, what they're saying, what they're complaining about is that if they say something that's not deemed acceptable by the thought police, then uh, liberals shriek at them, right? And it is it's the uh, shrieking and the name calling that they object to the most. That's you know that's and a lot of that is they're very willfully <laughs> a lot of that is they're very willfully being uh, uh, intentionally offensive, um, and you know fuck your feelings, right? <laughs> in which case, yeah, I'll I'll shriek at you. I'll throw a tomato in your face. You know, it's or, it's, it's at the it was at the point long you know this year last year this year where it's gotten to the point where the statements critical of the trump supporters are identical to the statements of the trump supporters you know it's it's like like, you know if i was gonna go like go for a master's degree right now it would be about (laughs) it would be about um the co-opting of the rhetoric of your political opponent to re- and reflect it back at them. Yeah. Um, just because I see it so much, especially this this alt-right thing. And again, it's not conservative. It's anti-liberal. Right. A- adopting the the language of that that liberals have been using for like the last twenty years and weaponizing it against right. against them. The, the uh, a huge supporter a huge thing of of fake news uh it was definitely favoring trump and now trump's just yelling at all the news outlets calling them fake news now it's a yeah, big problem that's... how it's an enemy of the people how they're dishonest they don't care about it but he's targeting the people that while they're you know while there may be while there may be shoes they are certainly not the proprietors of fake news. Yeah, this is right. That's the most prominent example of it. Like, this is the book I want to read. It's just right. about how, how that language. Hey. Well, it's just it's it's kind of it, like, it's literally yeah, take someone a circular language. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. It's literally take take their argument and use it back at them, and then you've got no argument because you're the In, one doing it. Right. In the most like shallow way, superficial way possible. It's the I know you are, but what am I? That's your issue. That's your essay right there. <laughs> St- you know, I know you are, but what am I? We said we weren't going to talk about politics. Is it possible it's not, not to, to talk about politics? So I, I work at a law school right now, and every there will be no more event where Trump has not permeated the topic of conversation. Most of them are about him. And now they all have armed security at it because they're crazy people. Now they're bag checks at everything we do and pat downs. And, right. and now you got the like, anarchists uh, coming in on our side and the anti-Trump movement. And then we all get painted with the the brush. Yeah. With, you know. And it's impossible <sighs> not it's to ugly talk. Times. It's ugly times, man. It is. And it's... and and the discourse has now be how do you find common ground when both sides view the other side as evil 
you don't compromise with evil. And we they have successfully made us paint each other as the evil side. And that's not good. If we could get all the Trump supporters into a steam bath inside of a rocky hovering spaceship. <laughs> and then we could all go in with our iPads. We could just get everybody's and cell just learn how to talk to them. If I could just get everybody's cell phone numbers and their dying wife's last words, <laughs> we could really make some headway. Hey, hey, we could solve this. Could I tell you uh, could I tell you something that has the only thing that's really given me a lot of joy recently? Um so, uh, you know, Trump bans the uh, made a lot of major news outlets from a press briefing, allowing the conservative leading ones in and the ones who didn't object to the banning in. Um, very, very just scary sign of what's to come. And more more sign than ever that something needs to be done. Um, very, very distressed, very uh, uh, uh feeling very hopeless um i've been watching a lot of okay go videos that i did not know existed okay have, have you seen the ones for like i won't i won't let you down and inside out and upside down are you asking me if i've ever paid attention to what the song is in an okay videos okay go video have you, have you seen the videos because i have not well the songs are good too but like uh, those two in particular, but have you seen the one? Have you seen the ones for "I, I Won't Let You Down"? I, the you the umbrella. Me, it's I mean, it's it's the one. It's the one they shot in Japan where they're riding the little uni wheels and they've got umbrellas. No. Go on YouTube. Sounds great. And watch. I want. I one. I think that um, OK Go, um, mixed with the the creative director. Uh, they they worked with. Not the director of the video, but the the, the design director, uh, Mirohana Hirohana, I think it was his name. Okay. Mirohiro Hirohana, and then the choreographer Airman. Um, they need to make the next Hollywood musical, the next big Hollywood. After seeing you know, La La Land, forget it. After seeing this thing, go on YouTube right now. Watch Okay Goes. I won't let you down. You will be inspired with what people can achieve. Like, I've gotten no end of joy to it. Now, it's it's like it's like no. There's there's a point in it where Carrie and I were watching it, and and Carrie was like, "Okay, this has to be digital right now, right?" I'm like, "Nope." And I looked it up. Nope, it is not. It's all real. And when you realize what people can achieve when you manage things well, it's it's it put effort into. Like Carrie has said several times, I think OK Go has the possibility to save the world. <laughs> they have the means that they can save the world. And I'm putting my faith in OK Go. <laughs> because, um, yeah, we, we were watching it and we just kept watching more and more and more. And there's, there's more than I ever thought were out there. Um, and um, realizing that the months and months of work that went into it, the countless dollars that went into it i'm going this is a little indie band they they obviously they get sponsorship from a company to produce these things otherwise there's no way they could do it and and we watched you know the the one where they shot in a um in zero gravity 
doing the uh have you seen the plane one where they're yes, yes. The, the vomit comet there's a um there's a uh a documentary on netflix now 20 minute documentary about the making of that right now which is really great you should check that out and then um uh because it's it's fascinating how much went into it and then you just keep doing it we keep seeing all these videos and carrie was like okay we have to st- i can't take another one it's hurting my soul because she was earlier in the night she'd said what are we doing with our lives <laughs> when you see what they could with some what's possible when you see what's possible it's so inspiring um i um i i i can't i can't recommend it enough and it's given me it's weirdly given me some hope to keep going to know that if this stuff is possible then then yeah we we can do great things in the world. So check out OK Go, I Won't Let You Down. All right. I, I have to do that. It sounds <laughs> like, um, I mean, you're making me think of uh, the kiss at the end of the rainbow in the movie A Mighty Wind, where oh, yeah. the guy says it's one of the greatest moments in the history of humans. <laughs> well, now that I've talked it up, it's not going to be so great. Part of it is the surprise. But that's the that's the problem with recommending things. Um, I forget where we where we left off. I think we're at the end. I think we're at the end. All right. So oh um, so yeah we I had uh, we had transitioned from Oscars into uh, a separating artists from the art. So we only talked about Best Picture and Casey Affleck, and that was it. <laughs> oh, uh, besides uh, uh, Marishala Ali from Moonlight. Uh, is uh has to be the winner of that of best sporting actor just just has to be i think he's the front runner um obviously uh but uh i don't think there's any contest that he's gonna win that one that's a question i had is anyone from moonlight eligible for best lead actor because the main character is played by three different actors and none of them are in more than a third of the film yeah i don't know I don't know. They were all great. That um, um, and also, I thought that Moonlight's poster was a phenomenal piece of work. The poster is is. Uh, yeah, I didn't get what was happening in that poster until after I'd seen the movie. Right, and then you're like, oh, um, it's truly amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's our uh, 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 we'll maybe we'll discuss when we've uh, got a better handle on the rest of the nominees. Maybe we'll discuss the uh, or just the movies. Movies. Maybe they'll end up on our as an episode. Um, um, I'm I'm very tempted to talk to somebody about Hacksaw Ridge, although that 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 would not fall under the one of 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 Wade likes everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's but it you know it's not terrible, but. It's questionable. Yeah, we'll have to get a stinker in here one of these times. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, just waits. I loved it. Jeremy's slightly critical, but ultimately <laughs> likes it. Raz <laughs> is like, everything's great. Well, yeah, all your points are valid. <laughs> That'd be a terrible debater. Um, so cool. Thank you uh, once again. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. We'll uh, we'll catch you next time on the. Uh, on episode four. And if you're keeping a scorecard during a Trump press conference and trying to point out all the logical inconsistencies, you watched it wrong. <laughs>